0: Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. Well, we're talking today, if I were giving this a title, we're talking about what somebody has called the Great Omission. We've heard of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, in fact, you may want to turn there. I hope you brought your Bible today. Matthew 28 is the home of the Great Commission, and we talk about that a lot. But somebody has coined the phrase, the Great Omission, and that's really what we're dealing with today, the Great Omission, something that we've missed close to the heart of God. Uh, Some of you have been around long enough to remember that several years ago, for about three years, we did a program called FAITH f-a-i-t-h each of those letters if you were part of that you remember stood for something and it was a program that we learned from the southern baptist believe it or not and uh, that is a chapter in a long book all by itself how we were able to persuade the southern baptist to let us use their material and go through their training we are i believe the only assembly of god church that's ever done their program faith and it was a great program for us we Uh, Looking through some files the other day, we trained about 44 people in how to share their faith, because that's what it did, and we encountered a lot of people uh, knocking on doors or at different places where we would position ourselves and share the gospel and share our faith. We encountered a lot of people, and according to our records, I was surprised to find we led over 200 people to Christ. It was a great program and through a simple little question that you would ask, you could determine where somebody was in their faith walk, how close or not so close they were to Christ because you would ask a question in your personal opinion. What do you believe it takes for a person to go to heaven? And you remember if you were trained in faith and there are a number of people here that were that they could really only give one of four answers. And from those answers, you would determine where they were and how you would go on. But using that little formula, we uh, led a couple hundred people to Christ. And it was very good for us. The only problem with faith, and it wasn't really a problem with faith because it was never intended to do anything except teach us how to lead people to Christ. The only problem with faith was that that's where it ended. We would lead somebody to Christ, but there was no mechanism after that. That's pretty much where faith ended with our 200 people that we led to Christ. Over this last several, two years, I've been thinking, should we resurrect faith? Should we start training, doing faith training again? My only problem was that it did have that limitation, what do you do with somebody after they come to Christ? Well, it didn't help us with that at all. Trained us. And there are a lot of you, I know I talked to different ones and and in, on the job, different places, you still use faith when you talk about Christ. F-A-I-T-H. You still ask the question in your personal opinion. and So it's been a great thing for us and I thought maybe we should go back to it, but it's got that drawback. And so over the last couple of years I've looked at other things and there are other Programs out there, just knowing that we as a church need to do something. We need to do something. At the same time, there was a, a growing realization that was working its way on me. I began to as, as I looked at the scriptures to realize that Jesus, and you've heard me say this, never, not once, asked for converts. He never asked anybody to convert to anything. Not once. We take it for granted that that's what he was always fishing for, people that would convert. Never, not once. That began to dawn on me. Another thing that began to dawn on me reading the scriptures is that Jesus never asked for people to believe in him. Not once. He never asked for people just to be believers and to believe things about him. I began as I looked into the scriptures to realize that Jesus is looking for something entirely different. It's in Matthew 28. And very likely there are a number of people in this room that you have memorized those verses. But let's turn to them and look carefully because I am here to tell you today that though I have memorized those verses a long time ago, have taught on those verses, and mined an awful lot of good out of those verses. I miss something entirely that Jesus has been saying. Matthew 28, verse 18. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is where Jesus sends people, us. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. It's his disciples, if you look in verse 16. That's the them. Jesus came up and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven. And on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And again, memorized, well known, taught it, talked about it, lived it, tried to motivate you with it. But I've completely missed what Jesus was saying. And to tell you the truth, I don't know how I missed it. The man who came up with the, the phrase, the great omission, he's now with the Lord, his name, Dallas Willard, he, uh, he put his own translation on this passage. See what you think. Jesus speaking. I've been given say over all things in heaven and on earth. As you go, therefore, make disciples of all kinds of people, submerge them in the Trinitarian presence and show them how to do everything I've commanded. And now look, I'm with you every minute until the job is done. I'm with you every minute until the job is done. There's something in that passage that I think a lot of us have missed. We talk about being disciples and we talk about discipleship. And I've noticed over the years that most churches have nothing to do with discipleship. Even though Jesus said very clearly, go and make disciples. In fact, the emphasis on that sentence, in that sentence, is not on the going. He assumes you will go. But it's on the making disciples. That's what carries the weight of that sentence. Make disciples. We don't make disciples. The most that most churches that have anything to do with discipleship, do is have a class. And we've done that from time to time. We have classes where we instruct people in the faith and and what it's all about and how to live for Jesus. But classes don't do what Jesus asked us to do. He said, go and make disciples. A disciple, that word means follower. It means learner. It's closer to our word, apprentice. When somebody is apprenticed to a master, they learn their trade, don't they? Not by sitting in a classroom and burying their nose in a book. Not by taking exams. But they learn it how? On the job. If you would be apprenticed to a master plumber, you want to learn the plumbing trade. That master plumber will take you on the job with him. And he will tell you, when you see this kind of pipe, use this kind of wrench and turn it this way. He will tell you how to become a master plumber. That's what an apprentice does. That's what an apprentice is. And that's what Jesus is saying we should be and that we should go out and make more apprentices. Not simply believers. Not people that say, I believe certain things about Jesus or have asked Jesus in my heart, as important as that may be. But we're to be disciples ourselves, apprentices of Christ, and then we're to go out and find other people and take them under our wing individually and cause them to be disciples and disciple them so well in all of the things that Jesus has taught us. That's what he says. Teach them everything that I've taught you. We're to take somebody alongside us and and pour our life into them and say, here's how I pray. Here's how I read the Word. Here's how I encounter difficulties in my walk with Christ. And do it to the point, teaching them to observe everything that Christ has said, that when the day comes that they're called upon, they make disciples as well. And we really are not a disciple of Christ until we have made a disciple who makes disciples. That's what we've missed. We've done another, of many other things very well, but we're not making disciples. The most and the closest we get is having a class. And so I ask myself, are we in a period where most rank and file people and most leaders in the church have missed the point, a big point? And I think so. There's a definite assumption among professing Christians. And it's this, that we can be Christians forever and ever and ever. We can be believers in Jesus and never become disciples. Because a disciple, again, is an apprentice. Look at what his disciples did. They went where he went. They ate what he ate. They saw what he saw. They experienced what he experienced. He took them by the hand, sometimes literally, and led them. And then, when the day came that he left, he said, Now you go and find somebody to do exactly what I've done with you. That's discipling, that's being a disciple. We create Christians, but Jesus says we're supposed to be creating disciples. It's no secret. Is it that the church in America is having very little impact on our culture? In fact, we wring our hands and we say everything is going to hell in a handbasket, and that at warp speed. And it seems like no matter what the church does, how many petitions, how much protest, how many efforts we put forth, we're not changing anything for the good, are we? We're not having much impact on our culture. We're good at making Christians, but we're not good at making disciples. And the problem is, Jesus says, I don't want you to make Christians. I want you to make disciples. Who can make disciples? Who make disciples? Do it that well. Make being a disciple. We make being a disciple something that super Christians do. And we we treat it as an option. Oh, I'm a believer, and I can choose to become a hardcore follower, a disciple who makes disciples. And when we do that, Believer, then, simply means I agree to certain statements about Jesus in my brain. I agree that certain things about Him are true, and and then nothing really changes in my behavior in my life. We see that all the time, don't we? People will come and give their heart to Christ, and then get up and they disappear. No life change. No behavior change. The problem with that, with making Christians, with making believers... with with creating Christians, which we're very good at. The problem with that is the word disciple, apprentice, appears in the New Testament 269 times, Christian three times. Jesus is not interested in making mere Christians. He wants disciples. And every one of those three times that Christian is used, it's talking about disciples. It's talking about disciples. Disciples. In the New Testament, anybody who was a believer was a disciple. You didn't have this two-tier system where some are believers and others are disciples. You know, as you read the New Testament, it makes no sense apart from realizing it's connected to being a disciple. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, for disciples. It's not for anybody else. It's not to be a comforter that we pick up occasionally and soothe ourselves with. No, that's an instruction manual for disciples, for apprentices of Jesus, who've counted the cost and made the decision, I will follow him wherever it takes me. And I will follow him to the point that I will do what he did with me. I will teach somebody else everything that he's shown me. That's a disciple. And again, a disciple is not successful until he's made disciples who produce disciples, you see. For the last several decades, maybe longer for all I know, but certainly for the last several decades in in our nation and in our churches, um, the churches that we know anything about that that we're familiar with, have not made discipleship part of being a Christian. Strangely enough, the New Testament doesn't know any other kind. Only disciples. Discipleship is, is part of being a Christian. and That's the only kind of Christian the New Testament knows anything about. Somebody who's an apprentice to Jesus Christ and follows Him and does what He does. The funniest thing that happens is we have produced in America what we have by that idea that I can be a believer and not be a disciple. And that's created a two-tier idea where some are full-on disciples and really committed, but the believers in Jesus who aren't so committed that, that have prayed a prayer, why, they're still going to go to heaven And that has produced what we now have in our nation and in our churches where it's become an optional thing. It's optional. We've made optional what Jesus said was a command. He said, I'm telling you, I have been given all authority. I am the boss here. And as the boss, therefore, I say, go and make disciples. But we've made that optional, what he makes a command. My friend Danny Esperanza, one of our pastors at Crawford, much better Greek scholar than I. In fact, I'm not a Greek scholar at all. But Danny is. And I was talking to Danny about this one day, and he said, do you realize that the original construction in that sentence that we're reading here, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every creature. He said, do you realize that the the important word, the important action word in that phrase is not go, we've made that the important word. Go, go into all the world and tell everybody. We made that the important word. He says the stress in the sentence is really on the the action words, make disciples. That's what's important. Because Jesus has been given all authority, he says, now I'm the boss. And my first command to you is, go and make disciples. Don't just make believers, but make apprentices. Now what's happened With this two-tier idea is some people are full-on disciples, really committed, but believers in Jesus still go to heaven. And now we've got what we've got. Churches, a nation full of people that call themselves Christians. But there's no lifestyle change and there's no impact on our culture. And what we've also got in making it optional to be a disciple or not, something Jesus never did, we've made it very easy to opt out and say, you know thought about it and i believe i'll just be a believer i'm not going to go the whole way and be a disciple now i don't pretend that people actually say that out loud or even in their brain but that's what happens we opt out we take the easiest route and the largest majority will elect not to become disciples of jesus who make disciples who make disciples the largest number will not elect to become an apprentice and follow him Because why? Because I'm going to heaven anyway. Again, the problem with that is that the Word says many came to believe in Him. This is in Jesus' day. Many came to believe in Him. There were tons of believers all around Him. The place was crawling with believers in Jesus. Many came to believe in Him, the Word says. But Jesus said, only if you abide in me are you my disciples. And then the famous verse, and once you're my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is a promise to disciples only, not to mere believers, if anything like that even exists. You see, many came to believe in him, but Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you do what I said, If you take my commands seriously, and the first one he gave us was make disciples, then you're my disciple. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth then will set you free. There's another verse. Somebody just reminded me of it today. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things in your name? And did we not believe in you? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's disciples that he's interested in, apprentices that will follow him not just believers. You see, as you read your New Testament, the kind of life that you see in the early church was that of a very special type of person, a disciple. A book by, for, and about disciples, you see. A very special type of person is described there. That's the lives we see living there, disciples. The Christians that we produce are not special types of people. And there's not much change that happens when somebody becomes a Christian only. But look, look, making disciples who make disciples is part of the promise that was given to Father Abraham, given to the nation of Israel that the whole world would be blessed through him and through Christ, his offspring, you see. That the result of this kind of life with Christ, disciples making disciples who make disciples, who make disciples is part of a promise to Abraham, you see. And that produces a perpetual moral revolution that the world hasn't seen yet. We're not there yet because we haven't obeyed him yet. Jesus will say another place, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. In other words, go out and do what I just did. Be my disciple. It's obvious. It's obvious. Go make disciples. That only those who are disciples can make disciples. Belief in some things about Jesus is not at all what he had in mind. So what does he mean by disciple? Get your Bible. Luke 14. I think it's fair to let the Word define its own terms, and part of that is who we are to be. We should let the Word define what a disciple of Jesus is, not our own preferences. Now in Luke 14, Jesus will fall in love with a device that you learned about in high school English called hyperbole. You remember hyperbole? You remember the teacher talking about hyperbole? Hyperbole you learn in English classes. It works something like this. It's an exaggeration, a gross exaggeration to make a point. Some guy says, you know, I met this girl and I'm in love. And I'm all shook up. <laughs> well, how do you feel? I feel like i'm walking on air that's a hyperbole is he really walking on air not even close but he describes it as walking on air you see we we say i am so hungry i could eat a horse no in fact you could not eat a horse it's a hyperbole you see it's an exaggeration to make a point and to say in this case i'm really really hungry we say to somebody when we see him and haven't seen him for a while, hey, you look like a million bucks. Where if we were shooting for accuracy, it'd be more like four dollars and some change. But we say, you look like a million bucks, right? It's an exaggeration for the sake of making a point. And Jesus in Luke 14 will use hyperbole exaggeration for the purpose of making a point when he tells us what he has in mind when he talks about this very special type of person called disciples so turn there luke chapter 14 and he's going to explain to us exactly what he's got in mind luke 14 26 look at what he says if anyone comes to me and does not hate you ready for for some offensive language If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, that just about covers everybody that's close to you. Yes, and even his own life, he, she cannot be my disciple. What? Must we hate those that are closest to us to be his disciple? He's using hyperbole. Should we hate people to be his disciple? That seems unlikely, since Scripture in many many places talks at some length about our responsibilities to those people closest to us: our parents, our children, our spouses, our loved ones, our neighbors, even. And at the, at the beginning of Israel's walk with the Lord, with this covenant-keeping God, at the very beginning, he he told them, "Here's one of the rules, guys." I want you to love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it's the same here when Jesus says, if you don't hate all of those that are closest to you, you cannot be my disciple. It's in keeping in line with what he's been saying all along. You've got to love me with everything. The allegiance to me, if you're going to be my disciple, has got to be supreme. I get first say over your time, your money, your family, Your home, how you use your car, how you use your thought life, I am in charge. You get off the throne of your life, and Jesus Christ gets on the throne of your life. And there's another little weird thing that we've done that the Bible doesn't know anything about. We talk about making Jesus your Lord and Savior. He never splits the two. We talk about, oh, I've accepted Him as my Savior, but have you made Him your Lord? He says, either I am your Lord or I'm nothing. You don't get to split it like that. He's our Lord, He's our Master. And my supreme allegiance is to Him alone. That's what He's saying. If your supreme allegiance is not to Him, He says, you cannot, you are not my disciple. That's how you know. Look at the very next verse. Look at the very next verse. If that sounded radical, listen to this. Whoever does not carry his own cross... How many know that before it was a piece of jewelry or a crochet wall hanging, that the cross was an instrument of torture and death? It would be like today if we walked around, had Jesus died in a gas chamber or an electric chair, and we had a little electric chair dangling from our neck. That's what a cross is. And Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, where do you think he went with that cross? He or she cannot be my disciple. It's hyperbole again. What he's saying is there will be hardship in being an apprentice of mine. If you're going to follow me, count on it. It will be difficult sometimes. Not every day, but some days it will be a grind. It's going to be difficult. After this passage, he will talk about the importance of counting the cost of your decision to follow me. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. It doesn't sound like easy believism, does it? It's going to cost us something to align ourselves with Jesus. It's more than just believing things about him. That's easy. But when we become his apprentice, his disciple, there's going to be hardship involved. If any wish to come after me, put aside your own agenda, he's saying. Embrace the hardship which will come. And it's going to come because you made it a, a big decision to follow me. So in other words, when it gets tough, don't whine. Don't whine. Don't, don't criticize the master because it gets tough. Don't run and hide. Don't evade. Don't, don't try and engineer circumstances and And imagine that there will be no difficulties in following Jesus. Because to put it bluntly, things are going to be very difficult sometimes. There's going to be hardship plenty if you make that decision to follow Jesus. That's what he's talking about with the cross there. Verse 33. Here's what he's got in mind when he says, here's what I want. I want you to be disciples. So then none of you can be my disciples. See, this is is not just a trip to the altar. This is not just reading a few inspirational verses now and again. It's not just coming to a service. None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Hyperbole again. We don't need to give up every single possession in the sense that if I did, I would be without food. If I gave up everything, I would be without shelter. I would be without clothes. But we give up our possessions in the sense that I turn their ownership over to Christ. It's no longer my house. It's not my car. It's not my money. It's not my Sunday morning. It's His. And every minute of every day and every decision that I make throughout that day, it's all focused on Him. That's a disciple. That's an apprentice. That's what we're talking about here. Is he asking us to give it all up? He's asking us to turn over ownership to him. And if you can't turn over ownership of everything, time, even when it's inconvenient to serve him, money, even when it's a sacrifice, then you're not his disciple. It didn't make it up. We just read it together. So in summary, what Jesus has said here with these three word pictures that are wild exaggerations that make a very definite point. He's saying, if I'm his disciple, I've got to bear good fruit. If I'm his disciple, I've got to love him supremely. If I'm his disciple, I've got to be willing to face hardships that result from my decision to follow him. If I'm going to be his disciple, I must do what he says with anything that I have. Anything. This is what Jesus calls us to be, you see. This is the only thing that he's looking for. Not just believers, not just agreeers, not just fellow travelers. He's looking for disciples who have so bought into what he's doing that they then find somebody else and make a disciple who makes a disciple. They are that careful to follow his commands that that command to make disciples is implanted in another life and they go on to make disciples. And that's where the perpetual moral revolution he had in mind comes in. There's another thing. He's calling us individually to make such a thorough disciple of somebody else. Not just the pastor, not just the leaders. He's calling every believer, everyone to be a disciple. So thoroughly, so completely to obey all of his commands that your disciple then makes disciples. No doing what Jesus wants, really, until you're a full-fledged disciple. You're not doing what Jesus wants if you just believe in him. Not until you're an apprentice and you go where he goes and learn what he knows and then pass that on to another apprentice, you see. Really, until your disciple makes disciples, read it again. Go into all the world because I've gotten all the authority in the world, I'm telling you. Therefore, to make disciples and teach them everything I've taught you. And I am with you until this job is done. I won't leave you. So we don't do this job on our own steam, do we? But in the authority, all authority, what does he say? All authority has been given to me. We have all the power of God at our disposal to do what he asks us to do. You see? Some of you are sitting there saying, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Because you're not doing it. His authority is doing it. His power is doing it. But we have to be willing to let Him work through us if it's going to happen. The reason I'm bringing all this to you, a couple reasons. But one of the reasons I'm bringing all this to you is because it is my hope that everybody in our church can become a disciple of Jesus. What if we actually do what he says? I admit to you, I missed it. For years, I've missed it. I thought discipleship was something else. It's not. It's being an apprentice and doing exactly what he says to do. Turning all ownership of my life over to him. Following him, no matter what the cost. Taking up a cross, even. You see? Making him my supreme allegiance I love him above everything. That's being a disciple. And then doing exactly what he says to do and what he says exactly to do is duplicate in somebody else's life what I did in yours. So my question is, what if? What if? What can happen if a little group of people like us actually does what he says? You know, he didn't hide what he said it's been there in black and white for centuries he didn't hide what he said make disciples that make disciples and what he wants is not complicated you see a few years ago a friend of mine a missionary leighton jones pretty good friend he introduced me to a friend of his named jim hall And I ended up inviting Jim to come and I invited some pastor friends to come together and and the reason was because, uh, per Leighton, Jim had hit on this thing that we're talking about here, this great omission, the thing that we have missed. That Jesus is not looking for believers, he's looking for disciples. And it's disciples that will change the world, you see. Anyway, Jim had had looked into this and had developed some material around it. And so I invited him to come and speak to some pastor friends in the area about what Jesus really wants and what could happen if we really actually did what he said. Not what we think he said, not what we wish he said, not make Christians if we made disciples. However you go about doing that, if we did that, what would happen? Jim came and talked to a group of 10 or 15 None of the other pastors wanted anything to do with it. They said, it's too hard. People won't do it. But as I sat there and listened to him, essentially tell you the things that I just told you. It was like, you've seen the cartoons, the light bulb over the head, dim. And in my case, it had been very dim for a long time. Bing! And it must have registered on my face as he's saying this, and I'm realizing I have missed this. The church has missed this. How have we missed this? And it must have registered on my face because Jim stopped the seminar and he said, you're having an aha moment. (laughs) And I was. The only reason we didn't go with his material then, we didn't do this then, frankly, He was a college ministry guy and his stuff was old and it looked like college stuff. And it just wasn't up to date. Last year he revised it. And I've looked at it and what we're going to do is we're going to see what if we actually do this. What if we become disciples who make disciples Jesus doesn't hide what he wants from us and it's not complicated. But the truth that we have missed that stunned me once I realized it's there, it's always been there. Go and make disciples. That's what I want. That's a powerful thing. And I think it's been largely untried. You, you, you wonder, was anybody doing this today? Yep, China, Brazil, Central Africa. All the places where the church is exploding, not only in numbers, but in influence. In fact, they say within the next 30 years, China could become a Christian nation because it's exploding. As people, one person plants their life in another life. One person makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. They have learned it so well that they convey it and that that's part of obeying Jesus. And there is no other way to serve or follow Jesus except to be his disciple, to be his apprentice. This is powerful. Our leadership team, a few weeks ago I met with them and I laid this out before them and asked for permission to to somehow begin doing this. Let me tell you the nuts and bolts of what we're going to do. I've talked to several people and I've got two more to talk to in our church. We're going to begin with a group of about ten and I'm going to spend some time with that ten or so and some of them are people from Marcelo's group and some from Danny's group, because I want this to be something that we all do. And we're going to learn, what does it really mean to be a disciple, and how do we make disciples? Because I don't know about you, but most of us were not discipled. Nobody did what Jesus said was supposed to happen. Nobody in my life came alongside and said, let me show you how to read the Bible. Let me show you how to pray. Let me show you how to live for Christ. So we don't know how to do it. Just like we wouldn't know how to bake a cake if nobody had made cakes for 300 years. See. So we're going to learn how to do that and then we're going to begin to teach each other how to be disciples of Christ because that's what pleases Him. Matthew 28, and I'm going to close with this. The first goal Jesus set for the church, the very first goal He set for the church was to use His tremendous power, all authority has been given to me, Use all of my power to make disciples from all kinds of people. Smart people, dumb people, good-looking people, ugly people, rich people, poor people, black people, white people, every kind of people make disciples, not just a certain kind of people, you see, but use all my power. You're not on your own. Use all my authority and all my power to make disciples from all kinds of people to be a sold-out follower. A disciple is the only relationship that Jesus really offers. So two questions. Number one, am I a disciple? You've got to ask yourself that. Am I right now, today, this moment, am I a disciple of Christ? The way he describes it here. Am I discipling somebody else? If we're not, we need to become disciples, not just believers. Believer is guaranteed nothing. In fact, many will say... In to me in that day lord lord and he'll say i never knew you he's looking for disciples jesus should get what he wants for the investment he's made he wants disciples you see so am i is the question we should be asked am i apprenticed to jesus christ do i know how to be a disciple if not let's find out together how to do that and then secondly what would happen if we do this if we do this what could happen Jesus never invited anybody to accept Him. I know the evangelists do it very well. The altar calls and all of that, and and there's probably some value in all of that. And there are people in this room, that's how you met Christ initially. But Jesus never invited anybody to accept Him. He, He never promises forgiveness then to those who just accept Him. That goes to disciples' forgiveness. Promising forgiveness, and then later they could, maybe might want to think about a fuller commitment to obey him. He doesn't know anything about that. Now the first step that he wants is a wholehearted commitment from us to be an apprentice. To be an apprentice. We see uh, recruiting posters that our armed forces put up to attract the best and brightest, our young people, to sign up and commit to serve their country the armed forces, and those recruitment posters, if you've ever noticed them, for our armed forces might emphasize things like, hey, you join the army, see the world. You'll travel, or maybe financial help with college on those posters. But the harsh truth is that enlistment in the military carries serious risks. The crew and the families of the USS Cole in in October of 2000, were reminded of that. As were their families. Because that was the day when terrorists caused the deaths of 17 service members on that ship, injured dozens and dozens more while that ship was refueling in Yemen. carries a serious risk. It's not just about the travel or the college. Likewise, dare we present the Christian faith Like a recruitment poster that talks about all the perks of joining without letting people know that your life is on the line for following Christ. What will it cost us to follow Christ? Everything. My time. My money. My family. My home. Everything. If it's not costing us anything to follow Christ, we're not following Christ. Because he said discipleship will cost you. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.